There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. Introducing four experts in the questionable art of crime. Mr. Farwell, expert on noxious gases. Former professor with a doctorate in both chemistry and physics. Mr. Irby, expert in mechanical engineering. Mr. Brooks, expert in the use of firearms and other weaponry. And Mr. DeCruz, expert in demolition and various forms of destruction. The time is now. And the place is a mountain cave in Death Valley, USA. In just a moment, these four men will utilize the services of a truck placed in Cosmoly, loaded with a hot heist, cooled off by a century of sleep, and then take a drive into the Twilight Zone. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host, Jimbo, and today, I am not in the southern layer. Oh. Yeah, scary. I am actually... In the northwest layer of a none other than my co-host, ADZ, right here, ready to take on this rip van. I'm ready to rip this Van Winkle caper. <laughs> you Man. think you think you are, boy? I'm really gonna rip her. Yeah, I mean, this is the opposite of Mirror Image for me. Like Mirror Image got better and better the more I rewatched it. This one got worse <laughs> and worse. Like I have so many plot holes. I have a brilliant observation at the end of this because this could have been over within the first five minutes. Yeah, for sure. So, but we'll get there. We'll get there. So, um, Eric, you got any questions or anything before we dive into this? No, I'll just go ahead and take her away. The Rip Van Winkle caper. This is the Twilight Zone season number two, episode number 24. And uh, it was directed by Justice Addis. I don't know if we've had him as a director yet or not. Not that I remember. Okay. Uh, my memory wasn't serving me either. So it was written by Rod Serling. And the original air date for this episode was April the 21st, 1961. And the total production cost comes in around $55,016.62. So when we adjust that for inflation for this episode, it looks like $559,599.99. And that looks like about a 917% increase over all these many years. Just by way of um, dates that are associated with this episode, the dates of rehearsal were March the 6th and March the 7th of 1961. And the dates of filming were March 8, 9, and 10 of 1961. I thought it was interesting, too, that this one was actually rehearsed and filmed only about, looks like maybe a little over a month before it actually aired. Hmm. So 1961 air day, April 21st, and March 8, 9, and 10 of filming of 1961. So that's about all I have as far as the... uh, Preliminaries, Jimbo, you want to handle the cast for this episode? Sure, let's dive in. It's, it's, a, it's a shorter cast, um, just has a few players in this episode. Um, so here we go. Uh, probably the main character is none other than uh, Simon Oakland. Uh, he plays De Cruz. Uh, a little bit of interesting fact about his role in this episode is he was an expert in demolition and other forms of destruction. <laughs> Uh, I thought that was pretty cool because all these uh, little... Uh, have we talked about the plot of this yet? No, not yet. I think we, you, get to that. you might want to do that before I go through this so that way they understand. Okay. You know what I mean? The yeah, difference. I've got a little segment in here too about what each 
man's I took it right out of the script. Each man had a, a specialty, if you will. Yeah, that's what a, I have. That's why I wanted to make sure people yeah. are like, well, why, why does it matter if he's a, a demolition expert? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, sure. Let's go ahead with the plot, and then maybe some of that will fit together a little bit. So the plot is four three thieves steal a million dollars in gold bullion in a train robbery and hide the money in a mountainside cave. The four plan to go into suspended animation for approximately 100 years, you're laughing over there, when they hope to awaken as extremely rich men with their heist long forgotten. When they awaken, they're not quite sure what year it is. One of them, DeCruz, has his eye on getting as much of the gold for himself as he possibly can. The world they have awakened in isn't exactly what they had hoped for. Right, so back to the cast... Like I said, Simon Oakland, he played De Cruz. Uh, he was an expert in demolition and other forms of destruction. His uh, film debut, Eric, um, he was an Indiana State Trooper oh. in the movie The Desperate Hours, although he was uncredited. So uh, us being from Indiana, I thought that was pretty cool, a little trivia mm-hmm. to throw in there. Um, he also took his uh, mother's maiden name for his stage name. Uh, he was also in the movie Psycho, uh, where he played the psychiatrist at the end of the film. Uh, he was in West Side Story. He was also in Bullet. Uh, his uh, primary he was primarily in television, where he had over 130 series and TV movies. Um, sadly, he died of colon cancer in 1983, the day after his 68th birthday. Next up on the list, we have Oscar Beregi Jr. Hopefully, I have the name right. Um, sometimes I feel bad because I don't pronounce them right. But um, he played Farwell. Uh, he was the, uh, expert on nitrous gases. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just laugh at this because well, you'll find out. Uh, he was in Young Frankenstein, Eric, from 1974, where he played the sadistic jeller. He was also in My Fair Lady, where he, uh, was, uh, he was the Greek ambassador. And he was also in The Incredible Mr. Lippet, the great Don Knotts film, uh, where he played the Nazi admiral. <laughs> uh, up next, we have Lou Gallo. Uh, he played Brooks. He was the expert in the use of firearms and other weaponry. Uh, he was in the movie I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry in 2007. <laughs> he was in Porkchop Hill, uh, Gunsmoke, and also Lost in Space. Then we had John Mitchum playing Irby. He was an expert in mechanical engineering. Uh, he was in the movie The Enforcer in 1976. Um, he's probably best known for his Dirty Harry films where he played uh, Inspector Frank DiGiorgio. Uh, man, I say that five times fast. He was also in Batman, the 66 uh, TV show. If you remember the famous epo- episode, Surf's Up, Joker's Under, where Batman and the Joker are surfing, uh, where he played Hot Dog Harrington. <laughs> so I thought I had to throw that in there. Yeah. Uh, he had Wallace Rooney. Um, oh, by the way, uh, he died in 1996. Uh, so uh, Wallace Rooney uh, played George. Uh, he was in The Exorcist in 1973, where he played Bishop uh, Michael. Uh, also, he was in Rocky as the secretary. Uh, Shirley O'Hara, uh, he was, she was uh, George's wife. Uh, she was in Chips, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Emergency, The Incredible Hulk. She was also in Rocky uh, in 76. Uh, she sadly died in 2002 from complications of diabetes. And yes, none other than the great Rod Serling, the narrator, self-host himself. Um, needs no introduction from us. If you've listened to this long enough, you know how great he is and what we think of him. So, Eric, that is your cast for the Rip Van Winkle Caper. Outstanding. All right. There's a lot of a lot of work work being done in that cast. A lot of famous uh, TV shows and movies, for sure. They they made their way around the uh, around the silver screen, so to speak. Let me circle back to April 21st, 1961, and let's talk a little bit. This is our favorite segment in the podcast that we like to call On This Day in History. On This Day in History for April the 21st, 1930. Let's go all the way back to 1930, and let's talk about All Quiet on the Western Front. That was a movie that was based on a novel by uh, Eurek Maria. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna butcher this name. <laughs> Remarque uh, is directed by Lewis Milestone and starring Lewis Wolheim and Lou Ayers, and it premiered in Los Angeles. And 
It has the Academy Awards Outstanding Production Award. So that was a, a very famous movie in 1930, All Quiet on the Western Front. Jimbo, have you seen that one? I have not. I, I haven't either. Uh, that's going way back. So let's skip ahead in time many years later. Let's talk in 1984. After 37 weeks, Michael Jackson's album Thriller is knocked off as top. Now you might wonder, what does this have to do with movies and TVs? Well, this song got knocked off as a top album by the movie soundtrack for Footloose. Cut another loose. Yeah, great movie in 1984. Um, 1986, as it pertains to TV, two years later, Geraldo Rivera opens Al Capone's vault on live TV and finds nothing. Do you remember that? <laughs> I remember seeing clips of it. Oh, I, man. I never saw the original. But. I was so excited. You know, back in our younger days, it was big news Like when they would be like, we're opening King Tut's tomb or whatever. Right. Remember, and they'd make yeah. this big old thing, and then they'd they'd be chiseled away. Then there'd be like another wall or something. You're like, well, <laughs> folks, we tried. Wall, wall, wall. Yeah, we tried. <laughs> so he opened the the vault on the live TV. He didn't get anything. They didn't find anything, but there was uh, great ratings for that mm -hmm. uh, TV special. All right, let's move forward just a few more years to 1993. And let's talk about the action TV series Walker, Texas Ranger, starring Chuck Norris, debuts on CBS. So that was not a fan. April the 21st, 1993. And that concludes this day in TV and film history. You, you a fan of the uh, Walker, Texas Ranger? No, I don't think I've ever seen one episode from beginning to end. So, yeah. Hey, we're in agreement so far. Hey, this is yeah, impressive. I mean, that's that's kind of so, I mean, that's a big fat for a Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah. All right. So, uh, back sorry, up. Chuck Norris, don't, don't, you know, block the sun from us and destroy yeah. us for saying that. So, uh, let's move back to our episode at hand, the Rip Van Winkle caper. And, uh, let's talk about the opening scene and, uh, the opening scene really is these four men are approaching what looks to be a cave, and uh, this was back-to-back -back episodes, remember, 100 Yards Over the Rim, and this episode were uh, filmed on location back-to-back, -back, so they, they had some forethought and planning, so where uh, the sets are, uh, look, you know, the surroundings look very similar, um, and as a car pulls up with two men in it, and they approach a semi-truck, and I did a little digging, and from the best that I can tell, this looks like a 1961, for all, all the car people, I always look at all the cars too, a 1961 Ford Fairlane. So that would have been a brand new car, which is odd because I looked at the 1960 model on Google, and it has different taillights, and this one has round taillights, so it has to be a, at least a 1961, but it's... It's all beat up, and it looks like it's been ran through the ringer, you know? Well, if, if you notice, it's it's they're using it as a, a cover, which says, what, Jones Moving Storage or something on it? Yeah. So they maybe want to make it look older than what it actually is so they can yeah. get away quicker. Yeah, it, yeah. It looks like the paint's all faded, and it looks like it's, yeah, been beat up quite a bit. Which, oddly enough, the, uh, the same semi-truck that was used in 100 yards over the rim that almost runs over Christian in that episode is the same semi with the same uh, van, Jones van and storage trailer on the back. So they, they reused that semi-truck for this episode. Just a little side note trivia there. And they, uh, they load the gold bullion out of the uh, semi-truck. And they load it onto a cart, which that's the first hole in this plot. I don't know, Jimbo, you, I see a bunch of graphs and charts over there on your... Did you have something that you wanted to talk about, about the gold, or do you want to get to that later? Well, they say it's one million gold bullion, right? And right. one of the guys says, um, I have a dollar twenty in my pocket in overhead. Um, but they're, they're trying to get this gold to the cave. Which, <sighs> he said, we got to destroy the vehicles too, if you remember. Right. So, right there for me, they're like, okay, so you're going to destroy these vehicles. What's your escape plan, if you will, once... The hundred years is up? Well, alleged hundred years. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. I, it just didn't make sense to me. 
but what do I know? Yeah. Well, but I didn't. I didn't do the inflation ca- uh, calculation for what gold was. Okay, I did. I did, did you? do that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll g- uh, get to that shortly. But once they approach the cave and they have this discussion, then they move the gold inside the cave. And I guess I will bring it up here because let me find it in my notes. Uh, it's in the trivia portion of my notes. The fact that they can load this on a dolly for me is the the first <laughs> plot hole in this episode. <laughs> Because how much is it weigh? Okay, a million dollars in gold, nineteen sixty one, at thirty five fifty an ounce. I did a little research. Would weigh over twenty eight thousand ounces, or seventeen hundred and sixty pounds. You and I both know, and our audience probably will know too. You can't load eighteen, close to eighteen hundred pounds, on a two wheel dolly. But, it's not going to hold. But see, I don't know. To me, I don't know if that's your only trip. Yeah, I mean that I, could that could explain that away. I that mean, could. That I only see like two or three bags in on the on the cave floor. I won't be so harsh on that. I will take that exception into account. Now, what's it worth in twenty twenty three? This is my first, you know, or, or trivia as we we're kind of we're kind of all over the place in this episode. But so in twenty twenty three, at nineteen hundred and thirty eight dollars an ounce, and this is according to Apex dot com. 28,000 ounces, or 1,760 pounds, would be worth $54,264,000. So, I mean, the idea is, you know, correct. But let me me jump back, because I I wanted to establish that fact up front, that, you know, I think they would need to drive the semi, or or a big heavy-duty truck at least, a two-ton truck, would be filled with the gold. They would have to drive that into the cave. They wouldn't be able to just pull it off in two or three knapsacks. Right. And Eric, you and know... that might be a minor issue, you, but... You've worked where we've had to unload trailers. I've worked where we had to unload trailers. And to me, um, when you do that and you're loading a trailer, you have to make sure the weight's distributed, too. You, right. You put it all in the front. <laughs> it's yeah. Not, it's going to be tip wrong. over. The trailer put in the back, right, right over, yeah. So that's another observation that I had. All right. So... Not to put too much emphasis on that's a small little plot hole. Let's get to the bigger <laughs> wait, plot hole. Wait till holes. he starts ripping on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in rip mode. So Farwell, the the main character, the ringleader, the the uh, the man who's an expert in gases, and he's uh, what does he have a degree in physics and chemistry? He's a doctorate in both. This guy is the leader. Farwell says it's one thing, gentlemen, to stop a train on its way from Fort Knox to Los Angeles and steal its cargo. It's another thing to remain free to spend it and spend it we shall. So, okay, first of all, <laughs> you're not stealing gold from Fort Knox. Man, we haven't even got through the introduction no. basically. Very <laughs> sorry in you're, full form. You're not gonna Okay, it made it seem. Now, I don't know. I'm getting really in the getting weeds worked here. up here, brother. Yeah. Like they they were on some kind of passenger train because they mentioned in the dialogue that they all the people fell asleep. Yep. You're not going a, a passenger train is not going to go through Fort Knox, and they're not going to be able to steal gold out of Fort Knox. Number one, yeah. with four guys, and they're not going to load it onto a passenger train is not going to go through there. But it I would guess. be a good good cover up. I if guess you loaded so the old- th- those things just don't go together. There's no way they're going to get in. To that. Oh, and by the way, uh, Fort Knox housed, I guess there was an order during World War II that the Declaration of Independence, this was interesting, I didn't know this, and the Gettysburg Address and the Constitution were all stored in Fort Knox during World War II for a short period of time by, I think, executive order of the president. Um, so that's like the safest place to put anything. If the country's most valuable documents, were stored there for a short period of time. You think four clowns who have demolition experience in a passenger train are going to be able to? Anyway, I, I, I I'm wish, rambling on. But. I wish they would have uh, explained a little bit about, or maybe even shown how they uh, did the train robbery, if you will. Yeah. Um, because to me, it was just like an, an afterthought. Like, oh yeah, we put yeah, these people. Right. We had to step over them horizontally, you know. And you're like, right. There's not a lot of details given, and I understand why. It's a twenty three minute you know episode but did, they, didn't they also say like they blew up the train tracks and yeah, that they had the to, uh, yeah. and they robbed a train so i don't know so that would lead me to believe that the train had to be coming out of fort knox and right. then they blew up the tracks and then put everybody to sleep robbed the gold and left in my mind but 
Anyway, let's let's talk about the origins of the title of this um, particular episode. The Rip Van Winkle caper comes from the Rip Van Winkle story, which I enjoyed a lot as a kid when I read it, you know, like in elementary school. Did you ever read it? Is that where he falls school? asleep for 100 years and wakes well, up with that it was actually, beard? I thought it was 100 years, but it was only uh, 20 years according to this. Okay, so let's talk about the, the actual story, the origin story. It's a short story by an American author, Washington Irving. Mm-hmm. He first published it in 1819. It follows a Dutch-American villager in colonial America named Rip Van Winkle who meets a mysterious Dutchman, imbibes their strong liquor, and thence falls asleep deeply in the Catskill Mountains. He awakens 20 years later uh, to a very changed world, having missed the American Revolution. It was inspired by a conversation on nostalgia with an American expirate. Um, I'm not sure what that word means. I have to look it up. It's an American expirate, brother-in-law, Irving wrote the story while temporarily living in Birmingham, England. It was published in the collection uh, called The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Canyon Ghent. While the story is set in the New York Catskill Mountains near where Irving later took up residence, he admitted, when I wrote the story, I had never been on the Catskills. So he wrote it from England, had a conversation, it sounds like, with his brother-in-law, who was an American, living in England at the time, and then... Eventually, Irving moved to the U.S., but he wrote this whole story about this man who fell asleep in the Catskill Mountains during the Revolutionary War period. And uh, so, yeah, I, I remember vaguely reading the, the story and liking it. So I went in with this episode with high expectations, and they just got ripped. All right. Since, ripped since, to since shreds. Eric has been ripping this episode, I'm going to throw in at least a, a little... Go for it. A little... Um, I guess I'll be nice for an, an instance. Um, I will say that the uh, the cave echoes when they are talking, they sound really good. Um, that's one thing I noticed when I was watching it with my surround sound. Mm-hmm. You can hear the echoes. So it makes you feel like you're actually in a cave. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, the... Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll save that for a little bit later. But I, I will say I think the, the play of shadows and lighting does, is done really well in this too. Um, especially the cave scene and, and some later scenes. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I will throw that out there before Eric just <laughs> derails this any further. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we move along in the in progressing in the episode, um, I'm just going to hit some highlights, and then uh, we'll, we'll uh, wrap up with more trivia and close this one down. But uh, let's talk about the four experts in the art of crime. All right, we we gather that from the dialogue. Jimbo already alluded to it a little bit earlier. So Farwell. He's an expert in noxious gassers, gassers, gases. He's a former professor. He's a doctorate in chemistry and physics. Okay, so Irby, he is a professional in mechanical engineering. Brooks, he's a firearms and other weaponry uh, expert, which Brooks should have been packing his heat when he almost got ran over here in a minute. Uh <laughs> so, crew. Wait, 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 let me let me. Can I just say something real quick? Sure. Irby, <laughs> number one, he's an expert in mechanical engineering. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what happens to him in this episode uh, is tragic. He doesn't make it. <laughs> but I'm saying he's a mechanical engineer. If anybody should have survived, what was going hey, on? Maybe we should put these glass <laughs> under caskets this, under a rock. Under slag tights <laughs> or whatever. That might be a mechanical uh, engineering problem. That yeah, that, Yeah, that might come to mind. Um, so DeCruz, as Jimbo already mentioned too, was, uh, he was an expert in demolition and other forms of destruction. Boy, was he ever an expert in destruction. Um, so they are, they are in a mountain cave in Death Valley, USA. That, that's what the, uh, the episode reveals to us. And I like how it's so hot and they're over there in suits and everything. You know? Oh yeah. That's not totally 1960s. <laughs> like we got full three piece suits on. Oh Yeah. Um, okay. So we talked about the origin of Rip Van Winkle. Um, the men, uh, after a conversation, you know, there's kind of some disagreement. Um, a couple of the guys want to follow, uh, Farwell's leadership. Looks like he's the leader so far, but they're, they're starting to splinter and you kind of see that, uh, you know, some guys want to cash their money in now. 
some want to go along with Farwell's, you know, theory that they're going to be in a state of uh, inanimation or whatever, and then they're going to come back. So they all sort of finally come around to the idea that we're going to do what Farwell says. He's so quote unquote the expert, and he's got all the degrees behind his name, and we're going to follow his lead. So they get into the glass caskets, okay? Uh, the cruise, again, is quite apprehensive. And the suspended animation will be approximately 100 years. And then, according to Farwell, they will walk the earth as rich men once they emerge. You got something else? A, a problem with... I, I can't take it anymore. Here, here I go. Okay. Okay, so so these idiots and their, their ringleader, they're going to get into these glass coffins that has been constructed, I'm assuming, by the engineer. And also, uh, in, in with the, um, the noxious gas guy, Farwell, right? And you can see very early on that uh, they're getting gold fever. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here's my question: uh, If I'm the smartest one of the bunch, even let's say Falwell, the one with the gas, uh, whoever, uh, I think it's Day uh, Day Cruz or whatever, the one that runs the guy over, right? Yeah. Okay. My question is: uh, You can tell very early on that Day Cruz was not on board with this plan. Mm-hmm. My question to you, Eric, is how come when they got in the glass coffins, because they had the locking mechanism there, mm-hmm. and you had to push the green button to get the gas to come into your thing, why would you just look around? Just don't push it. Everybody else does it. Don't push yours. The mother guys are knocked out. You get up. You load all the gold into the car, and you escape down the road. You put the gold somewhere safe, and then you ditch the car. Nobody's ever going to know any difference. And then you can even call in a tip and say, oh, by the way, you may, maybe even leave a few gold there. Say, by the way, I think these guys robbed. I don't know what they did, but this is an anonymous tip. Can I have my cash reward? On top of that, I, I had to get that off my chest because it was just. That makes too much sense. <laughs> like. Bada bing, bada boom, the Twilight Zone's over for yeah, this episode. episode's over. <laughs> okay, oh I'm off my soapbox right no, now. No, that... I just, that, just, that just drove me crazy from the very first time yeah. I watched it. But I did feel sorry for Irby, dude. He was, he was on board with the old planet, the Rockville. Right. <laughs> yeah, so they, they're inside the glass caskets. They, as you just very, you know, wonderfully described. Uh, they check the airlocks. They count to ten. They reach down with their left hand, press the green button to release the gas. Pleasant <laughs> dreams, good sleep, and I'll see you in the next century. Was the remark that was made at the end. Um, and then we get like this external shot. By the way, like an interlude shot of the wind blowing through the mountains to illustrate the the passing of time. And then I think we go to a commercial break, and then we come back inside the cave. And DeCruz, he doesn't understand why their beards and nails. Yeah. That's the least of your concern about this. My thing is, what did you eat for these hundred years, too? <laughs> or defecate anywhere? Yeah, you know? like, <laughs> so, uh, you know, Farwell explains that all bodily functions have stopped. <laughs> so they wouldn't see any visible signs. So he explained that this was this was foolproof. And, that, you know, DeCruz thinks, well, it, doesn't, it didn't work. It may We may have only gone to sleep for an hour or so. And Farwell right. says, no, it has to work. Everything... Stop. So the men roll back the cave uh, door to investigate to find that the road was still there and it hadn't changed a bit. They discover that a rock, we talked about this a little bit, a rock from the top of the cave has struck uh, Irby's, uh, his casket, and it cracked the glass and all the glass, or excuse me, the gas has escaped and all that's left is a skeleton, you hey, know. That was pretty cool, you know, yeah. the skeleton there. So but. do you have the... the the trivia, should we put this in now, what this is an homage to? or was No, dude, I, I, you know what? Honestly, I didn't even look at the trivia. I was going off everything from watching the episode. Just the episode. Right, because I knew you would do such a good job on your okay. notes. I didn't want to... No, no, uh, I'll just go ahead and mention it now while we're in full stream here. So, um, let me find it here. The, the interior of the cave, including... Well, we'll talk about money here. Um... Uh, Okay, sorry, uh, pardon me. This is the, this is the point that uh, correlates with what, where we're at in the episode. When DeCruz and Farwell and Brooks awake from suspended animation in 2061, they discover that Irby is no more than a skeleton as a fall, falling rock has cracked the chamber. This is reminiscent of the scene in The Planet of the Apes in 1968, in which Taylor, Dodge, and Landon discover that uh, the desiccated corpse of their fellow astronaut, Stuart, is... 
in her stasis pod, which malfunctioned and caused the air to leak. Mm-hmm. Like this episode, the initial drafts of the film were written by Rod Serling. So that was a uh, an idea that was further used in The Planet of the Apes. Uh, Later in 1968, which I think it's a cool effect. And this is set in 2061. That's not too far away now. No. It's like 40 years from now. uh, 38 38 years from now. They should be coming out of the cave in about 38 years. (laughs) So. I just want one of them cool cars at the end of that. Yeah. Um, So again, going back, there's some discrepancy here, whether this worked or not. And then once they see Irby's skeleton in the broken glass casket they're like oh it must have worked because you know he's he's wasted away so uh farwell says mr irby has proven my point however gentlemen he's definitely proven my point the hard way and then farwell i don't even know but he determines somehow out of thin air this is about 2061 well i mean if if you said they went in uh 1961 then it would be 100 years yeah he's saying i mean or his calculations. He doesn't really say how his calculations are precise. Uh, it, it, to, to me, what I got from Falwell, he could care less about the gold, is, is what I was taking away from it. Because just his attitude, I was like, he did all this. I don't think he wanted the gold. I think he just wanted the, the notoriety of being the smartest man that did this. I don't know. Yeah, but, and I'll get to that in the closing. Look uh, at questions this. Questions and observations. <laughs> like. He, these guys are just bumbling dummies. I mean, for as smart as they supposedly are and experts in all these fields. Well, uh, I mean, anyway, I mean, who can't relate to that? Their job these days, you know, you got these people with six and seven degrees and yet. <laughs> I guess they're not very good thieves, I guess. So um, they just they're they're awakened. By the way, they all woke up at the same time. There wasn't staggered waking times. They all just sort of woke up at the same time and climbed out of the casket. Down to the very second, they all woke up from... Yeah. Okay. Okay, here's another thing. Right. I thought well, it was... loaded up. I thought it, I thought it was cool how the gas came in, you know, mm-hmm. on their face and everything. Yeah. Um, but when they just woke up, just like a light came on and, and they woke up mm-hmm. in their coffin... I thought there should have been like some gas released back to get your your functions oh, your flowing too. You going, know, like yeah. you know, like when you go in for surgery and they get count down from ten, you're like ten. You know, you yeah. fall asleep and then they shoot you with that stuff to help wake you up yeah. after your surgery. So, to me, I'm yeah. not gonna be too hard on that part, but it's just another pet peeve yeah. of mine. So they start loading up outside the cave, and they bury Irby and De Cruz. Uh, they're loading up, they've loaded the gold into the back of the Ford, you know, like truck or van or whatever. And DeCruz and Brooks, Brooks says, I don't trust you, DeCruz, uh, with the gold in my mother's teeth or something like that. Yeah, they wanted to divide it up and every man, you know. Yeah. No. They were, they were having an argument over who was going to drive the truck. Okay, let's, 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 let's talk about this point one more time. <laughs> this this episode is going to take like two hours. Why? Why? When they were unloading the truck onto a dolly, why did they just not pull the car up there and load it into the back of the car and then drive it into the cave? I don't know. That's what I was saying before. Like, And if we're going back to the weight, there's no way that car is going to pull that gold. No. Like, you know, almost 2,000 pounds, you're going to need, like, at least a, a full-ton heavy-duty truck. And and I just thought De, De Cruz was an idiot for... Yeah. Okay, let's you just get to lost the some, scene. You just lost some more gold. He... he he okay he wants to all the gold for himself right so he gets gold fever and he but they're they're split three ways now right is better if they keep all the gold in the truck let's uh, supposing that they still load it in the truck and they drive it into town and they exchange it their split his 33 percent is going to be worth more but instead he tries to run over brooks and runs the truck over the side of the cliff well no he did that on purpose yeah but like, but my thing is, you already Irby already died, so you've already made another what eight uh, percent? Yeah. So okay, so answer this: Is the gold inside the truck when he runs him over, or is it still in the cave? Because that part was unclear to me. Well, they were they were in the middle of loading it up, right? So I thought maybe it was already loaded. So that makes it even more ridiculous that they loaded it up and then he ran it over the side but, of the cliff but, with the gold. But in but it. you that can't be true because if you remember right, they're carrying it at the end. The gold, because how else would he have to pay well, for the water? Well, I just assumed that they would scale down the side of the cliff and pull the gold out of the back of the truck. Maybe they didn't. I mean, that would be well, I think, even more I think, ridiculous. Well, I think, 
and I'm going to have to give Day Cruz some credit here because I think he did that saying, okay, they're going to find this place eventually. Let's go ahead and, and Make basically it look like sacrifice an accident. an accident, have some gold in the back of this, and then it'll be on him, and then we'll be away scot-free. So I'll give him a little bit of credit for that. But I would have, after I ran him over, I would have I would have took the gold out and then put him back in the car and threw it over the cliff. Yeah, but I guess my point yeah, because is the, the, the three-way with all the gold in the back of the truck, your cut is a lot more than two guys with knapsacks. Because you can't carry as much, right? right? And that becomes more evident as the right. episode goes along. And you're in the desert, in Death Valley, and you got knapsacks versus a truck loaded with more weight in gold <laughs> split three ways. Anyway. It makes no sense whatsoever, this entire <laughs> film or episode. So. Yeah. so we're on the road now, on foot. It's been determined by DeCruz. He kind of <laughs> takes over, and Farwell can't make it more than like, you know, very far. He's he's an older gentleman. He's a little bit more overweight, which he should have lost weight when he was suspended for a hundred years. No, but all and, body functions had stopped yeah. there. So. Okay, so I guess his weight was still on. So we come to find out there's like twenty eight miles to the nearest town. But um Farwell says, Man, we haven't seen a car for hours. Like we haven't seen any cars out here. What if, what if there the, was what a war? If start? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like what if there was a nuclear war and they dropped a bomb? Etc. Wouldn't that be the irony of all ironies that we have all this gold and we're the only two people alive on Earth? And and he makes the comment. He's like, I can't go anymore. I, I, my heart's about to burst. Yeah. And my question to you is, Eric, how long can you walk before your heart burst? In Death Valley, I don't know. I'm not in very good shape either. I probably wouldn't last very no, long. No, but I mean, I mean, scientifically, how long can a person push himself? Before their heart burst, do you know? No, no. Do you? Did no, you Google no, that? I, okay. <laughs> I was going to, but I was like, it, it's probably different from for different people due to your uh, BMI and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I would imagine that dehydration would hit you before your heart. I mean, maybe as a result, your heart would give out because if of If you're a doctor and listening to this podcast, could you please contact us at thetragedycinema at gmail.com and tell us? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, about that time, they see jets in the sky. So Farwell's in bad shape already, but you know DeCruz says, "Hey man, we're back on track. I see the jets in the sky. We're you know that makes it all good. We're not the only people on Earth." Um, so I'm okay, going to keep pushing. Okay. I'm going to keep pushing. Hang on, I got a question. Okay. So he says, "Oh look, there's jets in the sky." You don't think it's changed in a hundred years the uh, the jets in a hundred years from when you were asleep? Yeah. Well, that hearkened my mind back to King Nine Will Not Return. Right. That was one way he knew that he was in the... Right. Or that he had that dream that he went into the past, but there were jets that flew over and that kind of didn't jive with his... Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, here's another thing. Oh, my gosh. It's just loaded. Farwell discovers that he has left his canteen at the last place that they stopped. The only thing that you need in the desert, more important, I mean, maybe that is just an ironic, Rod just put that in for irony, that he would leave his canteen, and the canteen, obviously, of water is way more valuable than gold at this point, which, that we're going to see that develop more and more. Okay, okay. Another, another thing that just hit me. You have all these experts in noxious gases, mechanical engineering, firearms, blah, blah, blah. Why wouldn't you melt the gold down? Yeah, you. I mean, you, you seem like you got the brain power to to do that. Me and you would be better equipped to pull this off than these idiots. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Even my so, dad could pull it off. That's saying something. <laughs> so, and remember, when DeCruz ran over uh, Brooks, he was picking up a five-gallon <laughs> jug of water. That would have sufficed. Oh that. man. Uh, okay. I got way more at the end. We're, we're just hitting we're, these we're as we getting, go along. We're just getting started. Yeah. So a deal is struck, of course. One drink of water from DeCruz's canteen, which he has managed to hold on to for one bar of gold. That's the going rate, so to speak. So we continue walking and walking until Farwell. He's so thirsty and, you know, his bag is empty. He can barely walk. And then DeCruz says, well, the rate of exchange has gone up. It's now two bars of gold for one swallow of water. Is is DeCruz an idiot? He's getting more gold to carry in yeah. Death Valley. What are you doing? I understand the gold fever, but man. Yeah. <laughs> 
There's suspended animation in this. You gotta suspend thought in this episode. Like, you really just gotta turn your brain. I mean, I'm not saying it was anyway. Well, I'll get to that to the end. But yeah, so, you are. <laughs> in a in a moment, uh, in a flash, in a moment, Farwell smashes the gold bar into De Cruz's head, and he kills him with the bar of gold. He's crouching down and giving him the canteen of water, whatever. He laughs maniacally, and then he starts like weeping all in one. Uh, motion moment there just i don't know if there's a scene change there might be a scene change here but he he's laying uh as the scene opens up uh yeah he's stumbling down the road Farwell is like laying on his back at 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 the very end scene and and a futuristic man driving a futuristic car discovers farwell on the side of the road and he's barely conscious and farwell begs him to take him to town and he explains that he will pay him in gold, one said, bar of gold for a ride. I'll give you this. Yeah. <laughs> the guy's like, uh, all right, buddy. So the futuristic vehicle that the man pulls up in at the end of the episode is a modified version of Robbie the Robot's car, first constructed by MGM for the science fiction classic Forbidden Planet, 1956. Nice, excellent movie. Did But was the wife yeah. driving? I don't know. Because she was in the far seat, but... Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really pay attention to who was driving. Um, so the futuristic man, uh, you know, a, well, his name is George. George. Yeah. So Farwell dies on, on the side of the road. The futuristic man very casually, uh, very casually explains that the gold used to be. He's talking to his wife, and he says the gold used to be worth something about a hundred years ago before they started manufacturing it. So that's the big right. zone twist at the end. Uh, it's you know, the, it's basically worthless. At they thought point. they were going to be billionaires, mm-hmm. and now they are broke. Yeah. So that pretty much brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, I think I've covered most of the trivia throughout the course of us unpacking the episode. Uh, let me just, a few more points I'll hit, and then and we can move to the end. And Jibbo, you can... Uh, disclose whatever you have airing immediately after 100 yards over the rim in 1961 this is the second story in a row that centered on a protagonist encountering people from the future right remember christian horn and now uh these four men or well actually just farwell i guess encounters the man from the future um robert l mccord the third also known as bob mccord who played the role of the sheriff pursuing chris horn in the previous episode was the stunt double for the character of Brooks in the episode. So Brooks actually had a stuntman when he uh, got ran over. Um, because this and the previous episode were filmed uh, back-to-back on location in the desert near Lone Pine, California, so it wasn't actually in uh, Death Valley. It was in Lone Pine, California. It's obvious that the truck which speeds past Chris in 100 yards over the rim was the same used by the crook's in this story, we already talked about that off the top. Uh, now, this is kind of interesting from a uh, finance side. The interior of the cave, which Jimbo, you talked about this earlier, like with the echoing and you know the ambiance of the cave, they, they really did a really good job, including the gas, glass caskets uh, raked up Cayuga's production costs for, uh, to the tune of $1,500. The exterior of the cave, including the fake door, was filmed on location in Lone Pine. This one's constructed at a cost of $335 in materials and labor and dismantled after the required scenes were shot. Filming on location for this episode required the use of two local policemen and one ranger to be near the set during the filming for security reasons. Not sure why. It doesn't go on and explain what the security reasons were, but I don't know. Maybe just for accidents and so forth. So $1,500 for the cave and $335 for the door. That was... Quite a chunk of change back then. thought that was kind of interesting. Um, says, originally, Serling had composed a much lengthier opening narration for the script. It's hard to conceive Serling on the screen speaking this much dialogue, and perhaps this was the moment when he realized he was writing himself in too much and started to shorten his narrations considerably. I did or maybe he said, that. why am I even want my face on this episode? <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, because it doesn't really fit. Like uh, the Invaders, right? right? He wasn't, was he, well, his face wasn't on screen in the Invaders, right? Only his voice. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. No, because that was one of the problems that we had with, we talked about maybe continuity because she was, anyway, right. she was in the uh, on a different planet or whatever. 
That's it for trivia. I think we've beaten this thing to a bloody pulp. Uh, but I do have a few more flaws and questions and observations. You got anything? I'll let you take it away. <laughs> I feel like I, I mean, I mean, I don't know. So um, here's the here's the number one. I think this is the, this one takes the cake. All right, and you talked about this just a little bit earlier. Okay, main plot flaw. Why would a man who developed such a technology, such as suspended animation, potentially worth millions of dollars on its own, need to steal a million dollars in gold? Why couldn't he just sell his well, patent or his idea? The obvious answer is he was a Nazi. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, let's think about it. This wasn't too long after World War II. Right. And what did Hitler do? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the concentration camps, the death gases, and uh, all those... Um, you know, when you watch Schindler's List and stuff, just, it, it's really, I don't know if that was a purpose of this episode, because the guy did kind of seem um, like a, like, like a German. Devious. If you, yeah, yeah, like, like German like, accent, yeah. yeah and, they and, probably... and, and I told you, you could, you could see it in his mind that he didn't, he didn't really care about the gold. He was like a mad scientist right. almost. Right. So, so, I don't, yeah, maybe he. I don't know. Maybe but then he was again, holding true to his mad scientist. But right. like, why wouldn't you sell that to a government and make millions of dollars, millions more dollars than just a million dollars in gold bullion? But well, you know, it's like why? Why? I better who not knows? say that. Okay. So, <laughs> okay, that's the main plot flaw that I saw. Like, I would sell the idea and make way more money. But anyway, here's another smaller, lesser ones. We've we've covered many other ones but how did the truck battery remain charged or the fuel not go bad after 100 oh, years this is true. or even i was reading even deeper like rubber itself the tires even, right yeah it wouldn't last 100 years so the tires would be fine um we talked about um running over the cliff and staging the accident and we talked about how the money would be split better three ways with more gold than two ways on knapsacks and uh the very last comment i had was just uh, we got 38 more years until they wake up, so be well, looking for know, these guys you know, when they um, wake up in 38 years. Let this be a lesson to everybody. <laughs> Exercise is bad for you. <laughs> Take yeah, the car. this guy almost died. Right. They did die. His <laughs> well, heart almost right. burst. He almost died from um, uh, walking and then eventually did die. Right. Take the car, idiot. Take the car. Take them. <sighs> All right. I've had enough. What do you What do you rate this one? I, including the twist, I mean, go ahead. Okay, I think we've, <laughs> I think we've been spoiled by some really great episodes, especially in season one. Season one is just far and above season two so far. I I personally think. Um, so when you when you go into these runs of this, you know, this might be lower than the Big Tall Wish. You remember how hard I was on the Big Tall Wish yeah. where, with the boxer in mm-hmm. season one. Um, I just think that they're, for as much as you put into these guys being smart and on their game and, and psychiatrists, or psychiatrists, psychologists, whatever you want to call them, it just didn't live up to the hype for me. I, I There's so many plot holes and, and so many stupid, stupid, uh, idiotic moves. It's hard to give it a Let me ask rating. you another question. If you're gonna if you're gonna knock all these people out on the train, why blow up the train tracks? Just take the train and further down the road to where you're going and unload it there. Well, you do you un- think you've that, uncovered another one? Do you think that the gas used on the train was the same gas that they used in the coffins? Are those people gonna be asleep for hundred years? I think so. I think the implied yeah. They but they're gonna be asleep, asleep for hundred years. Well, oh. That, that the people in the train would be asleep for a hundred years? Hmm. I don't know. Well, That's... I mean, but they weren't enclosed in coffins either. Hmm, yeah. Or, but would they be skeletons when they woke up? Uh, I don't know, man. We so, really, we really. Yeah. So, so about blowing up train tracks. For, we for really me, derailed for on me, this episode just because of the the lighting and the shadows and the set. <laughs> and I'm taking away all the bad acting. I will give this a four. Four out of ten. Okay. Um, I I think. I'm going to look at it. Sorry, Rod, but this one is, I don't know. There's just a lot of Can we get one more boo real quick? Well, I'll I'll save one for the end. uh, The twist is is not bad, even though you can kind of see it coming a little bit, that these guys all turn on each other. You don't know exactly how it's going to play out. 
but the twist is halfway decent. Um, I don't know. The acting is so, so, you know, but it just, there's just so many holes in it. I think IMDb gave it a six and a half. I got to go down to at least a five. I might not put it at a four, but I got to put it at least at a five. Um, I don't know. I don't know enough about the original Rip Van Winkle story to see what parallels were taken out of the story, other than the, the going to sleep and waking up in the future. Other than that, I really don't think there's anything else that was used, uh, for obvious reasons probably, but yeah, this one's just a complete... It's just a failure for me, and and it, I really, it's hard to find one that's really bad, but... Th- this one, again, the more you watch it, just more like, hey, what about this? Hey, what about this? Uh, so, hey, Eric, do you, do you think this is in your forefront for winning a tragedy award at the end of the season for the worst the episode? I think it's <laughs> in season the two. for sure for season two. Wow. Uh, it's it's hard to come up with one that's, and yeah. Uh, so I'm going to give it a, a solid middle five or four and a half at best. Right. So, well, at least we're in agreement on this one. That, yeah. that hardly ever happens where we both just... I started up. out really high on it. I was like, oh, I okay. remember you're like, oh, yeah, we got to run about six or seven episodes. Dude, is it really I good? I must have slipped my mind that this one is in there. <laughs> it just... Yeah, it's no good. But... Uh... Moving well, on, I think we've... Right. If you'd like to follow us on the social media, we are the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, I would say Twitter, but that's no longer just the big X... Um, we are on TikTok, blah, 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 um, all the thing. Um, if you'd like to be a guest episode, come join us, talk about Twilight Zone. I'm sure, um, if we could find the time, uh, me and ADZ could, could get that accommodated. So, well, Eric, I think we've, uh, been ratting on this far too long in the, the, the fifth yeah. dimension. I think we went to the sixth dimension with this episode. So that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close and that's a wrap. And cut. The last of four Rip Van Winkles who all died precisely the way they lived, chasing an idol across the sand to wind up bleached dry in the hot sun as so much desert flotsam, worthless as the gold bullion they built a shrine to. Tonight's lesson in the Twilight Zone.